Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. I seek refuge with Allah from Satan the Accursed. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to the breakfast show on the Voice of Islam radio. My name is Mubarak Zamini and with me I have um, my co-presenter Daniel Ahmed. And today in, in our show we will be discussing two important segments. Um, the first segment uh, which we will be discussing will start at around eight, uh, 7.25 um, and the topic is World Day of Social Justice, Shared Future for Transformative Change. Um, do stay with us for this segment as we will have uh, three uh, very uh, important guests who will help us discuss and understand this segment. And the second segment, which uh, is quite dear to the hearts of the Ahmadiyya community, is the achievements of Muslim Aud, the promised reformer, um, we will have two uh, special guests that will join us for this segment as well. So listeners, um, do stay with us when while we discuss these segments. And if you have any questions or if you would like to contact us, um, you know you can you can call us at zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. Um, or you can um, you know tweet us uh, and our handle is at voice of islam uk uh, brother daniel uh, how how are you doing today assalamu alaikum may peace and blessings of allah be upon you um wa alaikum assalam may peace and blessings of allah be upon you as well um alhamdulillah by the grace of allah almighty i'm doing good uh, great and um, also you know uh, as the weather is getting better and better um, the days are getting long as well uh, so, the days are getting long I don't see the weather getting better uh, I mean um, yesterday after uh, for the past two or three days I can uh, you know um, when I go out I can see the sun out as well mm. so you know but we did have some spells yesterday as well and the day before yesterday really yeah okay <laughs> it could have been the case yeah but alhamdulillah i'm doing good by the grace of allah almighty good well i mean um you started off talking about the weather so the forecast for london today is that today we will see bright spells in in places at first but cloud will build from the northwest remaining cloudy through much of the rest of the day with some patchy rain by the evening and it will stay breezy tonight will start mostly dry but rather cloudy cloud will thicken from the west later on with spells of heavy rain moving in around the early hours staying breezy throughout wednesday largely cloudy with spells of of heavy and persistent rain in the morning followed by scattered showers later on some heavy Turning drier with some clear spells by the evening and it will remain windy. And largely clouds on Thursday with spells of heavy and persistent moving in from the west in the morning and clearing to the east through the day. It will be very windy. Friday will will, will, will see bright spells and patchy cloud with isolated light showers in places. It will remain windy. Saturday looks to be a dry 
and bright day with plenty of wintry sunshine and very little cloud but it will become a bit colder so do um then you do stay a bit aware of the weather as well yeah. um and be careful as as it stays a bit breezy and a bit windy throughout the next few days as well moving on to our uh, new segment um where we discuss the the headlines of of today um so the newspaper headlines read Navalny wife blames Putin and US's move to block Rafa offensive Many of Tuesday's front pages focus on international stories such as the death of Putin critic Alexei Navalny in Russia and the Israel Gaza war The Guardian leads with a plea by Mr Navalny's widow Yulia Navalny to stand with me as she urges the international community to support her and her husband's work following his death Much of the article quotes a video she published online in which she vows I will continue Alexei Navalny's work I want to live in a free Russia I want to build a free Russia Mhm The Times also leads with the Alexei Navalny story but focuses on how he died it leads with his wife's accusation that uh, Vladimir Putin's regime had her husband killed with no choke a notorious group of nerve agents often used as a poison The Daily Telegraph features a picture of Yulia Navalny promising readers more information on the video inside The paper leads with a headline stating that the United States is trying to stop Israel's offensive in 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 Rafa in the southern Gaza trip It says that US President Joe Biden is pushing for a vote on a temporary ceasefire even as Israeli troops prepare to launch a ground offensive in Rafa On a lighter note the newspaper carries a cartoon showing a schoolboy who who has sent his parents a selfie from detention after getting punished for using his phone in during lessons a nod to guidance from the government to schools in England on how to stop the use of mobile phones during the school day mm-hmm. the daily mirror focuses on the royal reaction to the israel gaza war it leads with prince william's message of peace that highlights the human suffering of the middle east war as innocent victims continue to die the top story adds that the prince will meet aid workers providing help to gaza and will speak at a synagogue about the rise of antisemitism the financial times also has a short write up about alexei navalny's widow vowing to continue his fight but leads with the revival of the uk's corporate bond market fueled by a rise in pension fund buying It also focuses on the economic angle of the war in Gaza saying that Israel's economy has shrunk by 20%. Mhm. Labour is set to commit to the triple lock on UK pensions in its election manifesto the ISS. The paper says that the policy currently increases pensioners' earnings by 800 pound a year. Although some economists believe that may be becoming unaffordable as it raises the overall pension bill by billions of pounds labor however says that the pension growth is essential to ward off a tsunami of pensioner poverty 
the paper says in its bullet points. The Daily Mail leads with what it says is an exclusive story, quoting the Borders, quoting the Borders watchdog, which says that hundreds of high-risk flights made on private jets are landing unchecked in the UK. It also devotes some column inches to a story about Taylor Swift, where writer Liz Jones celebrates the pop sensation for publicly trashing her exes. Mm-hmm. The Daily Express devotes nearly the entire front page to Rishi Sunak, uh, quoting him as saying that his plan for the economy will boost Britain. The paper also highlights the message from Prince William about the situation in the Middle East and his hopes for a better future. The story of three children who died in Bristol is on the front page of Metro, which calls them beautiful souls. Hmm. The Daily Star leads with a slightly perplexing story about Indiana Jones and the in- indomitable Mr's, Mrs. Mop, a reference that has gone completely over the head of this writer. The Guardian highlights what it describes as the defiant call issued to Russians by Alexei uh, Navalny's widow in a video message on Monday. It says Yulia Navalny's voice trembled with emotion as she vowed to continue her late husband's political work and urged Russians to rally around her. The Times reports that she directly accused President Putin of killing Mr Navalny and she said she believed the authorities were deliberately hiding his body to wait for traces of the nerd agent Novichok to disappear. But suggestions that Mr Navalny's death will finally make Mr Putin an international pariah are dismissed by the Financial Times, which points out that the world's three largest democracies, India, the US and Indonesia, could all elect admirers of the Russian president as their leaders this year. U.S. fears about Israel's planned offensive in in Rafah are the main news for the Telegraph, which features President Biden's push for a United Nations vote on a temporary ceasefire as soon as practical to halt the fighting in Gaza. The Mirror says the Prince of Wales is planning to raise awareness of the war's human suffering by meeting aid workers and visiting a synagogue. The Express notes that Prince William is honouring his pledge to make peace in the Middle East his lifelong project and says that like his father and mother, the future king is showing huge ambition in his choice of duties. The Mail claims to have identified a major new immigration scandal after the outgoing Independent Chief Inspector of Borders and Immigration, David Neal, revealed that Border force officers failed to check the occupants of hundreds of private jets that landed at London City Airport last year. The paper says that the the debacle means gangsters, illegal immigrants and even extremists may have entered the UK without even rudimentary scrutiny. The Home Office says there was a recording issue with the figures given to Mr Neil making them misleading. Officials have insisted they will never compromise on delivering a safe and secure border. The Sun isn't impressed by the government's efforts to ban mobile phones in schools in England, labelling Mom Day's announcement a phony war. It suggests the plans would have more clout if, if ministers were laying down 
the law instead of issuing guidance which can be ignored. It all smacks of a ruse drummed up to distract from failing on other issues, the paper says. The Times is more sympathetic, arguing that a ban on phones in schools is an urgently needed step, but it warns that the new guidance does nothing to tackle the graver matter of regulating children's use of social media itself. Two separate studies noting differences between men and women feature on the front pages of different papers. The Times highlights research which suggests that men need to spend twice as long exercising as women to get the same long-term benefits, including a reduced risk of early death from heart attacks. The Telegraph says scientists at Stanford University have proved for the first time that the brains of men and women work differently after a computer model was able to tell the sexes apart by looking at MRI scans of brains and identifying subtle differences in hotspot areas. So, Yem um, was, um, I mean, very beautifully explained as well. I mean, you are saying that uh, um, the men need, I think, uh, more time to do yes, exercise so as well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's obviously been proven that we yeah. need to take twice as longer. Um, it takes us, while well, we exercise, twice as longer to, to reach the same benefits as, as, as uh, women do. And they're lucky in that sense, I guess. Uh, we just have to keep trying harder. Yeah. But apart from this, um, I have another uh, news article, uh, which is from Al-Hakam. Um, Al-Hakam is a newspaper from within the MDM Muslim community. And the article is regarding um, the recent, uh, you know, um, there was a recent statement from um, the Sun British uh, Australian journalist, um, Trevor. And he said on a live television program that by the very definition of being a Muslim, you are going to be anti-Jewish. So... Um, you know, it's really worrying and sad to know that what made uh, this particular statement, um, what made him to, uh, you know, uh, say this particular statement, and which is, you know, kind of very dangerous and uh, worrying. And it wasn't, you know, challenged by even by the presenters of the program who, um, who nodded in agreement as well. And... Um, a kind of you know uh, islamophobia is also getting so prevalent as well and um, also the war of israel and gaza gaza is also entering its um, i think fourth or fifth month and uh, more than 28000 people have been martyred and especially um, the among those um, people especially there are children and women uh, the innocent civilians and there is a very beautiful example I would like to give uh, which is from um, the life of the Holy Prophet uh, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him that you know once a, f a funeral procession passed in front of the Holy Prophet the um, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him and he immediately stood up uh, out of respect and um, upon doing this one of his companions you know, asked um, him that um, this that this funeral is of a Jewish person. Uh, he's not a Muslim, and so 
what is the reason that um, the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings Allah be upon him, you know, stood up. So the reply was very beautiful. And uh, we need to remember this. Every person need to remember this regardless of uh, his faith. Because that... Uh, any person, anyone, anyone ca can, you know, uh, implement on this um, message given by His Holiness, uh, His, by the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And he replied that aren't uh, Jews also human beings? So this gives the message that we need to respect each other um, in uh, on a very humanity level, on a very basic level, and. Um, these these little gestures in, are included in uh, on being a human and uh, as a as a human to treat each other treat each other. So we need to keep these uh, little things in our mind. Um, this is the reason that um, a very prosperous uh, society can be built. And um, so that's why you know um, um, just was going through the article uh, which was written in Al Hakam. So I would encourage. Uh, people to you know, read this article and the topic of the article is that in response to the sons Trevor um, Kavanaugh a historical perspective on Muslim Jewish relationship so a very beautiful article written by um, written in al uh, and I would like to encourage people to go through this brilliant thank you Daniel um, I think we'll head for a short break um, and the uh, listener do stay with us and once we come back we will continue with our first segment the maker the one who plans determines and brings into being O maker of the heavens and the earth thou art my protector in this world and the hereafter the purpose of the voice of Islam is to inform people of the true teachings of Islam and to make it abundantly clear that Islam's teachings perfectly conform and relate to the needs of every era and every person. The Voice of Islam brings you a whole range of exciting programs each week, 24 hours a day. Tune in to our current affairs programs such as Pathway to Peace and Faith in Focus. Welcome to another episode of Pathway to Peace. Welcome to Faith in Focus, an hour of discussion, debate and dialogue. Find out about faith in the current age with Science Hour and Around the Table. Welcome back to the Science Show here on The Voice of Islam. Welcome to another edition of Around the Table. Join us on Voice of Islam throughout the week for a wide range of programs for you to enjoy. Writings of the Promised Messiah Then arise and repent and win the pleasure of God through good works. Remember that the punishment of wrong beliefs is after death. Being a Hindu or a Christian or a Muslim will be determined on the Day of Judgment. But a person who goes beyond the limit and wrongdoing, transgression, disobedience, and vice, is punished in this life. Such a one cannot escape God's chastisement. So hasten to win God's pleasure, and before the dreadful day arrives, namely, the day of intensity, 
of the plague of which the prophets have warned. Make your peace with God. He is very benevolent to the one moment of the repentance that melts the heart. He can forgive the sins spread over 70 years. Do not say that repentance is not accepted. Remember that you cannot be saved by your deeds. It is grace that saves and not deeds. Benevolent and merciful Lord, bestow thy grace upon all of us. We are thy servants and have fallen down upon thy threshold. Amen. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the breakfast show at the Voice of Islam Radio. Um, before the break, we were discussing the news. Um, and in this segment, we will now be discussing World Day of Social Justice, Shared Future for for Transformative. Um, and if you would like to join us for this segment, if you would like to speak to us, speak to either myself, Mubaraz, or my co-host, Danielle, um, the number is 020-8687-7878. Or you can... Um, uh, you know our 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 Twitter our handle is at Voice of Islam UK on X. So, World Social Justice Day on twentieth February is to remember and promote the fight against poverty, social exclusion, and unemployment, with the theme shared, Future for Transformative Change for two thousand and twenty four. The United Nations General Assembly acknowledges that social development and social justice are essential to achieving and sustaining peace and security both within and between nations and that these goals cannot be achieved in the absence of either peace and security or the respect for all fundamental freedoms and human rights. So... Um, in in this regard, Daniel, can you um, give some insight to our listeners as to what um, our teachings are? <clears throat> yeah, sure. So obviously a very important um, point raised by you, I would say. <clears throat> and when we look at the Islamic teaching, um, we find that um, how pristine and the teachings of Islam are and how... Um, the relevant and also the uh, contemporary teachings uh, we can find in the Holy Quran. So, in chapter 16, verse 91, Allah the Almighty says that verily Allah requires you to abide um, by justice and to treat with grace and give like the giving of kin to kin and forbids indecency and manifest evil and transgression. And he admonished you that you may take heed. And, you know, our His Holiness, uh, Hazrat Mizam Masroor Ahmad, 
um, while giving a lecture in, at York University in Toronto, Canada. He said that whether Muslim or non-Muslim, uh, we should pursue the universal standards of justice outlined in the Holy Quran. As, as the Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, so beautifully stated, we must love for others what we love for ourselves. We must pursue the rights of others with the same zeal and determination that we pursue our own rights. So that's why we need to broaden our horizons and look at what is right for the world um, rather than what is only right for us. So very, you know, um, um, very beautifully explained by His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmad, very beautiful words. Brilliant, thank you. Um, we now have with us our first guest for today, um, which is Professor Kiran Grewal. Kiran is a professor at Goldsmiths College, where she teaches human rights and is a co-director of the Unit for Global Justice. Before becoming an academic, Kiran worked as a lawyer in refugee, international human rights and international criminal law. Over the past 11 years, Kiran's research and activism has been primarily focused in Sri Lanka, where she runs a annual decolonial summer school for scholars, activists and artists each summer. Um, Kiran Garval, good morning. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you and welcome to the Voice of Islam. Good morning. Thank you very much for inviting me. Well, without any further ado, can you explain to our listeners what World Social Justice Day is, and could you provide a brief history of it? Yes, so World Social Justice Day seems to have emerged around 2008, and I think it was an initiative of the International Labour Organization. Um, and it seems that the sort of main reason why there was a need to have a World Social Justice Day was to bring together, you know, ideas of formal justice, like equality and individual rights, with the recognition of all the structures that also need to change for us to live in a just world. Things like economic structures, addressing poverty, questions around borders and migration and nationality. So World Social Justice Day, I know this year is particularly interested in trying to think about how we bridge gaps and build alliances across the globe hmm. to promote a more just world for everybody. Okay. And what are some of the different ways um, justice has been understood uh, and, and, and what does it mean to you? Yes, yeah, so I mean, justice is one of those questions that has occupied uh, philosophers, uh, religious scholars and ordinary people throughout history. Hmm. Uh, you know, what it means to us, you know, for some people, it's just as simple as getting what you deserve. For others, it's about, you know, being formally viewed as equal before the law. Um, I think for me, you know, obviously, over the last few months, as I'm sure many of your listeners have been experiencing, uh, I've had something of a crisis of confidence in the idea of justice globally, um, watching what's been happening in Gaza mm. and the lack of response. Um, so I think for me, justice is um, the idea that, everybody around the world, regardless of where they're located, what their skin colour, what their religion is, um, would be 
seen as equally valuable to the world and that we would fight equally for for everyone indeed and uh, you know as you mentioned looking at the current events in the world uh, would you say justice is is being served well i mean i think this is where making the distinction for me between formal justice you know the the sort of institutions um law government um i think if we look at those i think they have continued to fail mm, uh, indeed and you know i mean we are, we're seeing interesting struggles taking place in the international court of justice you know south africa trying to kind of push for some kind of justice for for palestine now there's a new case in the international court of justice so i think there's there are struggles happening in the formal institutions but they have let us down mm. but i think for me maybe what has been more important um has been the idea of popular justice and you know that's the people's justice and i think when you look at the ways in which people around the world have mobilized and taken to the streets and been demanding that you know and stopped buying israeli goods and you know and been demanding that we take seriously what's happening that that there should be action um i think that many people ordinary people have been really kind of uh, awakened to the importance of justice and so i think that is a valuable thing yes yes um Kiran can you give us an an insight into your research on decolonial and and subaltern approaches to rights justice and democracy? Mm. So I mean it's it's quite funny that uh the so this summer school that I run each year in Sri Lanka mm. um we had actually already decided uh around the middle of last year that this year's theme would be on decolonizing justice. Uh we had no idea at that time just how relevant that would be. um but really my interest in in decolonial and subaltern approaches to justice is about saying uh, you know much like i was just saying before that justice is not just what um governments and lawyers and judges and elites think it is but often communities who are ignored who are not treated as political um who are treated as as just passive objects um also have their own ideas of justice so in the case of Sri Lanka um you know while there've been many initiatives at the level of of government and you know in Colombo in the capital um you know by lawyers and elite civil society at the same time i spend a lot of time in villages and when you talk to to people in the village they they don't use the language of law necessarily but they still have a very strong sense of justice and often that shows through in um their rituals in their um approaches to their their traditional practices and arts um it happens at the level of local community um mm. and so what i'm trying to do in my research is bridge that gap between what the formal institutions think justice is and what ordinary people and particularly disadvantaged people how they understand justice what it means to them brilliant Well um Kiran Grewal thank you for joining us on uh, on the Voice of Islam radio um it's been a pleasure speaking to you and we hope to hear from you in the future as well and may Allah the almighty um you know a grant you success in all your endeavors as well thank you very much thank you bye so that was uh Kiran Grewal a professor at Goldsmith College where she teaches human rights and is the co-director of the unit for global justice 
Before becoming an academic, Curran worked as a lawyer in refugee, international human rights and international criminal law. Over the past 11 years, Kiran's research and activism has been primarily focused in Sri Lanka, where she runs an annual decolonial summer school for scholars, activists and artists each summer. Coming back to, as we were discussing before, Daniel, um, we were talking about, you were mentioning how um, Allah the Almighty has, has taught us to um, preach justice in the world as well. Um, coming back to that, can you shed some more light? Yeah, sure. So, <clears throat> uh, you know, um, first of all, it is the, I would say that, the responsibility or the duty um, of the government to provide um, justice and security. Mm. Or, you know, although... Um, if we say that Allah the Almighty has or the God Almighty has commanded us to do um, certain things in a certain way, yeah. yeah, so that the justice can be could be prevailed, but uh, at the end, it is the responsibility of the people yeah. or the the ones who are or who are in in government, who are the authorities to take those measures and implement them. I mean, the whole day of this day right mm. um is you know is 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 something that's recognized by by the officials by the united nations yeah of course uh, you know to to promote um working towards social justice globally mm. so we expect these um these 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 groups to actually be implementing what they are trying uh, for us to understand them ourselves yeah obviously um you know um just for example, um, we are saying that um, um, justice need, need to be prevailed. As our previous, you know, uh, guest was also saying that that his mission, her mission, is to bridge the gap between um, those people who are marginalized and mm. those people who are at the uh, upper class people, and um, how she is doing. Um, her work is through spreading the awareness regarding justice and because um, you know Islam um, says that uh, if we need to ensure justice um, and and we need to ensure that justice prevail on all levels then the freedom of religion um, should be um, assured by the authorities as well hmm. yeah they need to ensure that you know um, for example if there is a cultural gap there or is there is a, a gap of um, um, rich and poor mm. the, their responsibility is to make sure that they they remove that gap and um, um, build such a society that where you know everyone everybody can uh, you know stay together uh, build uh, build a very beautiful society because in the holy quran law mighty states that uh, why he made different tribes and different uh, groups so that litarafu they can uh, you know get to know one another uh, in a better way hmm. so, and obviously you know um as as our guest mentioned that this day is to raise awareness for social uh, justice, you know, including poverty, inequality, mm. um, 
discrimination, social exclusion and other forms of injustice. The UN, you know, it emphasizes the importance of addressing these challenges to to build a more inclusive and um equitable world. And the World Day of of Social Justice serves as a platform to encourage people, you know, organizations and governments to take um action to promote social justice and create a society where everyone has equal opportunities and rights. And um as you've been mentioning that they need to take the right steps and the first step to achieve these ambitious goals would be to bring people and uh, governments together mm. you know uh, civil society and communities to work together to find lasting solutions to conflict and and insecurity what they need to do is to strengthen the rule of of promoting human rights they need to follow these steps and these steps are are something that they already know about the un yep. they already know about these um it is from them that we know what their steps will be and what they are supposed to be um bringing out in 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 into into the public obviously and uh, th- there is one thing which i would like to mention is which should be the you know foremost priority and it is that um, we need to first uh, foremost uh, choose such people who are eligible and mm. whom we can trust um and uh, if such people are being chosen um, by us it is our responsibility as well and also uh, i would say that as the elections of the uk are also very near as well mm. so um, it is also a very uh, it is also a responsibility of every citizen that we vote for the right person you know who can work for our prosperity and f- and who can you know make sure that justice prevail on all levels uh, regardless of uh, anyone's religion race or gender and uh, this is the you know very beautiful um, this is a very beautiful teaching of in the, you can find in the holy quran and uh, moreover allah majesty says that when you choose such people their responsibility is that that they should judge people uh based on their um based on their not based on their uh, color or caste uh, that it should be judged by justice mm. yeah so justice should prevail and allah almighty states that excellent is that which in which um allah uh, instructs you so allah's guidance is that we we shouldn't you know um work on such uh, things which are you know in our which are in our interest rather should work on such things which are in the interest of the people and uh, this is uh, this is a reason when you can you know uh, find a society which is um, whose foundation are laid on very harmonious uh, peace and uh, um, harmonious and peace factors and um, again allah almighty states in the holy quran that or ye who believe be strict in observing uh, justice and be witness for allah even though it be against yourself or against um, um parents or kindred um very beautiful teaching that allah says that if you need to you know give any um testimony if it ga- if it goes against you hmm. then you sh- uh, should give it to Mm. uh shouldn't be worrying that uh um that uh, i would be um you know gone i would be died for example 
um, there will be no future of mine yeah. if I, you know, g- give any testimony against myself. So it is a very beautiful teaching that um, the teaching, the purpose of these teachings are uh, in the end to ensure uh, peace, and um, we need to. Uh, work on all levels. Um, you know, sitting here, we we say that authorities should do this and this. Yeah, it is their responsibility. But it is also as being as civilians, uh, yeah. our respond responsibility as well, that we make sure that we choose such people. You know, uh, we should render trust um, to such people who are eligible Indeed. for such such a you know humongous task, and. Um, Again, you know, uh, and at the same time, um, when while we are looking for people who we will put into power, um, it's important to get the main information that we need, mm. have our research done, and not just go off hearsay. But and at the same time, we should be praying. Yeah, it's always important to pray. First of all, pray for yourself mm. that um, God Almighty enables you to make the right decision. And then pray for the person you have now elected that may he be able to um, be just in all future endeavors. Um, with that, we now have our next guest, which is Professor Megan Campbell. Um, Professor Megan Campbell is a reader in international human rights law at the University of Birmingham and deputy director of the Oxford uh, Human Rights Hub. Her research focuses on women's equality, particularly in relation to poverty. Um, Professor Megan, uh, Megan Campbell, uh, Assalamu alaikum, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you and welcome to the Voice of Islam radio. Thank you, it's lovely to be here. Um, well, Professor, as social justice is essential to achieve peace across nations, with the, you know, the, the current situation in the Middle East, what steps or initiatives can be taken to ensure this? Thanks. It's a it's a very difficult question, and I'm right law, not as a specialist in conflict law, um, in Middle East politics or history or law, but from a human rights law perspective, you know, ceasing violence in any and all forms is a must if we're going to have uh, peace. Violence is the antithesis of social justice. And so how do you go about obtaining peace when there is a conflict? And that, that's not an easy question. And, and you know, there are, there are many people around the world who study that question very, very closely. Hmm. And thinking about what human rights law can bring, we can think about our, our right to collective action and our right, our right to protest and the importance of peaceful protest, which is, you know, such a radical act to, to, to return violence with not with more violence but with you know non-violent demands for peace and then it can be hard to know in people's day-to-day lives how to be effective in taking steps to obtain peace and to obtain the end of violence um, and we can't always know the what our actions are going to do what they're going to bring about but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't do them hmm. and we need to be uh, in continued activism in any all forms from you know, social media to um, physical demonstrations demanding demanding peace. Hmm. And why and how do you think social discrimination around the world, you know, it becomes a hindrance to achieving social justice? 
Yeah, so by the social discrimination, I'm going to sort of define that as the idea that because of your socioeconomic status, hmm. you are treated at a disadvantage. The idea that if you live in poverty, are you, um, you'll be discriminated against. You can, there are many different forms that can come in, so just to give some examples. The idea that you might not, um, a landlord might not rent to you if you're on social benefits because they are going to perceive you as being someone who can't handle money or is financially risky. Hmm. If you have um, the wrong accent, you might be seen as someone who's not of a, the correct class for a certain type of job. Yeah. You can think also about certain types of work as not being protected under legislation. Um, domestic work is a good example. It's often not protected under, under various labor laws around the world. It's because it's not seen as socially valuable work. And this kind of discrimination is a hindrance to social justice because it creates a hierarchy of people. It creates some people who matter and some people who don't matter. Hmm. And it's saying your, your matterness, why you're important or why you matter, is a function of how much economic resources you control. That economic control is mapped to your moral worth. And that is the antithesis, again, of social justice. Um, it, because it, by social discrimination creates groups who seem, who we, who we think it's permissible to disparage, discipline, to control, to mock. And when we have outgroups like that, it's impossible to have social justice. So we need to be very vigilant in understanding that people who live in poverty can experience discrimination based on their poverty or based on their socioeconomic status. And how do you think class differences and, and cultural differences make it difficult to achieve peace and justice? That's a, also a really difficult question because um, you know, class differences, cultural differences, really any type of difference can make it possible to distance ourselves from someone else. That we no longer see somebody as a person who is sort of rich or complicated and feeling as we are. We see them as an other, somehow separate from us. And these differences can be exploited by you know, people in positions of power for, for various reasons to make it seem that it's okay to treat people who are differently worse off. Hmm. That, um, you know, black people are more criminal or that women are very indecisive and flighty. And, pardon me, when you are, when you treat people like that, they, when, you know, that is, that is impossible to have peace and justice because you're not treating them as a whole person. You're treating them as someone lesser than you. And then when you are in the oppressed group, you, you push back and you, you try to resist your oppression. And, that can often spill over into ways that are violent because your your anger and frustration at being oppressed can't be contained. So, that, you know, with human rights law, the, you know, the greatest challenge of human rights is, is seeing that everyone has moral worth and matters because they are important for who they are. And this doesn't mean that we need to be erasing all differences. Um, we don't. The goal of human rights law is to treat everybody the same. As differences are inevitable among the amount of people who live on our, our planet. But what we want to be worried about is that the disadvantage that flows to difference must end. And it's only on reflecting on differences, working through differences, in seeing differences as, as a reason to not to treat someone badly, um, will we be able to attain peace and justice. Indeed. Um, well, Professor Megan Campbell, thank you for joining us and answering our uh, couple of questions. Um, it was a delight speaking to you this morning, and um, may Allah the Almighty be with you. Thank you so much for having me this morning. Thank you. Assalamualaikum. That was Professor Megan Campbell, um, a reader in international human rights uh, at the University of Birmingham and Deputy Director of the Oxford Human Rights Hub. Her research focuses on women's equality, particularly in relation to poverty. Um, we now will play a, a short clip uh, from the head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, 
the fifth caliph, His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed, um, you know, s- regarding the the highest possible standards um, of justice a Muslim should have um, in 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 the light of um, uh, Islam's teachings. So let's quickly just take a look at this clip. In chapter four, verse one thirty six. The Holy Quran demands the very highest possible standards of justice. It requires that a Muslim should be willing to forego all of their personal interests for the sake of the truth. Muslims are commanded to put aside their own desires or personal relationships and to be witnesses for the sake of Allah, the Almighty. This verse instructs that a person must even be willing to testify against himself, his parents, and his loved ones in order to establish justice. Islam teaches that a Muslim's first loyalty must always be to the truth. And so, a person must never hide the facts or give false testimony. A person should not be governed by his own personal desires. On, as as uh, this leads to bias and prejudice and takes a person away from what is fair and what is right. This enlightened principle is the means to solve the problems of the world and to transform all forms of hatred into peace, tolerance, and mutual respect. So that was the worldwide head of the Ahmadi Muslim community, the fifth caliph, His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed. Um, you know, he states the, the highest possible standards of justice of a Muslim should have in the light of the Holy Quran's verse um, 136 of chapter 4 while delivering the keynote address at the First National, First National Peace Symposium in Canada in 2016. Uh, dear listeners, the number is 20 um, do call in if you would like to speak to, to, to us in regards to um, this segment. There are a number of ongoing armed uh, conflicts and civil wars, uh, some disputes, you know, which have lasted many decades. Um, it, is, it is clearly not a, a, a simple solution to bring in both sides and, and encourage discussion. It might be necessary to promote education and understanding to a whole generation and come up with more creative methods to encourage social justice and peace. You know, many issues and injustices are caused by the divide between the wealthy and the working class. Oftentimes, the, the wealthy will be in control or leading the country. So despite the civilian population wanting change and looking for a better distribution of wealth, those in charge um, may not be as keen. I mean, um, uh, Mubaiz, uh, I mean, as you have mentioned, um, that um, many problems rise due to the, 
the difference or divide between the wealthy and the poor and also you know as we were listening to our previous guest um, as she you know very forcefully uh, stressed on the very um, point of discrimination as mm-hmm. well and its consequences <laughs> and uh, i would say that islam t- teaches very beautifully that islam says that what you like for your brother you should like what you like for yourself you should like for your brother as well mm. and you know it's not mere, mere teaching we can you know we have seen the practical examples of this in the if you go uh, back in the history of islam uh, we see that um, during after the battle of uh, badr yeah. uh, if you look at the treatment uh, to to the enemies or to the captives of war we see that the the companions used to give uh, better food and better clothing to them and uh, they used to eat less and uh, so in so so uh, one of the islamic battles that you've mentioned yeah so at that time whoever was taken captive from the from the other tribes of of arabia yeah they were dealt with in a better manner yep and they were dealt with as guests right that's how the muslims treated them that's how the holy founder of of islam mm. the holy prophet that's how he taught them to deal with these people right is that what you're yep and that was the reason that some of them you know became uh, muslims after this treatment mm. and uh, you know uh, when we are sitting here we are saying that for example islam islam teaches this and that we, these are not ex- just um, the teachings rather we see the practical examples of these teachings as well as i have mentioned and um uh, you know as mumbai's you were saying that also if you want to carry on yeah uh, you know i just got one point so i would i thought that i would mention here i mean um you know natural disasters and and global pandemics you know they are unpredictable um and the forces of of nature can push more people to be vulnerable and and displaced with a lack of of resources available many of these displaced people may not receive the help they need so um it's important for us to look out for the people that are in need and that um are more vulnerable to these um issues but for now um dear listeners we will be going for the eight o'clock news um after which we will uh, take a short break and come back to our segment so do stay with us do join us and um do interact with us uh however you may free feel and here is the news You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the breakfast show at the Voice of Islam Radio and where we are discussing um social justice and right now we have with us our next guest for the show our next guest for the show is miss dania nasser uh, who is a member of the women's auxiliary organization with 
uh, Ahmadiyya Muslim Association UK. She is currently a full-time student at Kingston University studying forensic psychology and criminology. She volunteers for many activities within the community. One of her roles is outreach coordinator for her branch of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Women's Association. Um, Dania Nasser, Assalamu Alaikum, good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. How important is, is justice when it comes to bringing conflict to an end? Um, justice is very important. Um, I think we all know human nature is such that it is impossible for everybody to agree on everything. And so from time to time there will be disagreements. But I feel like the key to solve those um, solving those disputes is with justice and fairness. Um, rather than to, you know, prioritize one's own interests and just argue, you know, I'm right, no, I'm right. Um, so being just, you know, finding a middle ground. Um, um, you know, if a person is not fair and ethical, then whatever grievance or problem exists, it will only ever escalate. There will never be a solution. So rather than peace, all that you will achieve will be increasing hatred, contempt, and um, in many places in the Holy Quran as well, we see that Allah the Almighty has commanded Muslims about being just and treating others in the best way. Um, one such example is um, in chapter 4, verse 136, where the Holy Quran demands the very highest possible standards of justice. And I'll quote, quote a part of it, um, and it's mentioned that, all ye who believe, be strict in observing justice, and be witnesses for Allah, even though it be against yourselves or against parents and kindred. So basically the Holy Quran is requiring that a Muslim should be willing mm. to forego all of their personal interests for the sake of the truth. And so Muslims are commanded to, you know, put all of that aside, uh, put your desires aside or personal relationships and just wit be witnesses, you know, for mm. the sake of Allah, support Indeed. what's right. You know, be just. I think it's very important. You know, it's, it's the main thing in solving any conflict. Indeed. <clears throat> and how can we build bridges, um, you know, between opposing parties and set an inspirational uh, president for times to come? Um, so I'll give you an example of um, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, um, to answer this question. So after the Battle of Badr, um, which was a very significant war in which the non-Muslims of Mecca had sought to end Islam um, once and for all, and the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, had showed absolute benevolence and mercy. And instead of seeking revenge, the punishment that he carried out was so, it was so outstanding, so beautiful. Um, you know, it was a perfect example of building bridges between opposing parties. And he set quite an inspirational precedent um, for times to come. And so basically, rather than torturing or enslaving the prisoners of war, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, instructed those prisoners who could read and write to educate the Muslims who were illiterate. So basically, as a result of that, education was literally the means of their freedom. So for them to be free, they were actually doing something good hmm. for it. Um, and it was, it was just such a beautiful, incomparable example of how even from amongst the state of bitter war and conflict, you know, some good actually ultimately can be retrieved. So those who could, um, those who had themselves shown no mercy towards the Muslims, they were also treated with compassion and consideration, and they were utilized as teachers. So that example um, exhibits two beautiful aspects 
after the character of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Um, on the one hand, he was neither vengeful, he wasn't bitter uh, to those who had persecuted him um, and his followers. And secondly, it also proved how highly he valued education and learning. So I think that's the best example I can really give. Um, and, you know, being just can really resolve many of our conflicts Indeed. and Indeed, indeed. Yeah. yes, you're right. And, um, you know, I would like to thank you for joining us, um, giving us time and for beautifully explaining the teachings of, of Islam and um, explaining for our listeners as well. Um, so thank you very much. And may Allah the Almighty help you in all your endeavors. Thank you. Jazakallah. So that was um, Dania Nasir a member of the Women's Auxiliary Organization with Ahmadiyya Muslim Association UK. She is currently a full-time student at Kingston University studying forensic psychology and criminology. She volunteers for many activities within the community and one of her roles is outreach coordinator for her branch of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Women Association. Um, I mean, a very beautiful interview. We have really uh, amazing guest, you know, who... Um, shared very uh, indeed all of our guests you know have, yeah. have, have been a delight this morning by yeah, the grace of Allah obviously and um, but uh, moving on to the Islamic perspective um, 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 you know um, as we were you know discussing that how Islam teaches us to um, hold the rope of justice uh, mm. firmly and um, even in the Holy Quran, if we you know go further, Allah the Almighty uh, state uh, that um, let not the hatred of a certain people, nation, prevent you from acting um, justly. And we should you know always adhere to um, justice, because again, Allah Almighty says that um, that is very near to Him. And this is these are the means to attain his nearness, mm. yeah. And um, you know, further going on, moving on, uh, we see that um, following the path of um, the teachings of Islam, um, our current uh, worldwide head um, of the Amdi Muslim community, His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmad, may Allah be pleased with him. Um, at the Netherlands National Parliament in the country's capital um, city. Um, he said on 6th October 2015 that we are the people who seek to heal the world. We are the people who seek to unite mankind. And we are the people who seek to reform all hatreds and enmities into love and affection. And most certainly, we are the people who make every possible effort towards establishing world peace and further he said that as a religious leader i wish to say that instead of blaming and provoking one another we should focus upon building true and lost uh, long-lasting world world peace and these are not his mere words uh, if we look at you know his practical example we see that you know regarding uh, achieving world peace he wrote many letters to the world leaders and um, and for this purpose, you know, Islam, the Muslim community is holding uh, every year uh, peace symposiums and uh, for this purpose so that, you know, where the awareness can be spread. And uh, for this very purpose, um, we are going to hold peace symposium again uh, next um, month. And um, this is the reason, you know, um, 
so what's the reason to the reason is very simple to just to achieve peace and uh, how we can you know achieve a very long lasting peace uh, which is um, you know so so the gap between uh, different communities can be um, you know minimized it can be so so that we can you know achieve uh, a very prosperous society and um, uh, if you look at uh, the motto of MDM Muslim community which says that love for all uh, hatred for none again um, very beautiful teachings uh, you know there is nothing to say more about this that it's very simple even a very child can understand its meaning that what does it mean that love for all hatred for none yeah and in this regard the founder of the md muslim community has informed us of a very vital principle and he said that to establish peace it was essential that mankind sought to adopt and follow the attributes of God Almighty to the best of their abilities. And he said that this way the this was the way to ensure the continued well being of mankind. Uh, indeed he further explained that the welfare and prosperity of humanity, both physically and spiritually, was directly linked uh, to observing the um, attributes of God Almighty because it was through his attributes um, that all form of peace uh, emanated um, and if we look at you know the meaning of of the word of Islam it also means that um, to submit oneself to the oneness of God Almighty and it also means peace as well because when just look at um, the basic uh, foundations of um, uh, or think about it that how can we achieve peace it's only by uniting together you know if we are no if we do not unite together on on one ground mm. obviously we cannot achieve uh, in any way although you know uh, differences will remain somewhere but we need to uh, you know unite on some points now, if we, uh, you know, if we just disagree on every point, then obviously there won't be a, a point where where it it will look like that we are going to uh, somewhere where we can achieve peace or or um, or maintain peace. So mm. a very very you know uh, important point need to be bear in mind. Indeed, you're right. Um, for our dear listeners, um, for you. We have a a uh, poll on X, previously known as Twitter. Our uh, handle is Voice of Islam UK. If you go onto there and you see our poll, which is, what is the best way to improve social justice in our society? Um, we have options uh, for you to choose, and we would like you to go there and and vote what you think is the best way to improve social justice in our society and um, with that we are coming to an end for for um, the first segment um, we will continue to a short break after which we will come back and uh, start our very interesting sto uh, topic on the promised reformer so dear listener do stay with us after this short break Simplified Answers to Frequently Asked Questions 
Why is it not permitted to hang up pictures in a mosque? Is there a misconception that they will come alive? There is no such notion in the Islamic teachings that pictures might come alive. Pictures are not allowed to be hung in mosques where Muslims pray for the simple reason that pictures can be a cause for distraction. When a Muslim prays, all his concentration should be on God and no physical objects are even needed to establish a spiritual link with the Supreme Being. This is the reason for the absence of any physical objects, including pictures, inside the mosque where Muslims pray. Keeping this in mind, there will be no sense in hanging pictures in the mosque which might distract the worshippers. Otherwise, Islam does not prohibit the hanging of pictures in other places. The purpose of the voice of Islam is to inform people of the true teachings of Islam and to make it abundantly clear that Islam's teachings perfectly conform and relate to the needs of every era and every person. The Voice of Islam brings you a whole range of exciting programs each week, 24 hours a day. Tune into our current affairs programs such as Pathway to Peace and Faith in Focus. Welcome to another episode of Pathway to Peace. Welcome to Faith in Focus, an hour of discussion, debate and dialogue. Find out about faith in the current age with Science Hour and Around the Table. Welcome back to the Science Show here on The Voice of Islam. Welcome to another edition of Around the Table. Join us on Voice of Islam throughout the week for a wide range of programs for you to enjoy. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, dear listener, welcome back to the Voice of Islam Radio. Um, you are listening to Mubarak Zamini and Daniel Ahmed. And in the second segment now, we are going to be discussing the achievements of Muslim Maud, the promised reformer. Hazrat Mizza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmed, may Allah be pleased with him, was born on 12th of January 1889. As a result of the prophecy revealed to the promised Messiah the, um, on, on, on the 20th of February in 1886, um, the promised Messiah being the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and um, his son known as uh, Muslimaud, the promised reformer, 
So in this show, we will cover the the accomplishments the, the accomplishments of Hazrat Mizar Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmad, the the promised reformer, whose whole life and achievements during 52 years as Khalifatul uh, Masih the second, so the, khali, the 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 second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Um, you know, constitute a fulfillment of of a a very grand prophecy, um, and for this we will go on to our first guest for today. Yeah, sure. And for this uh, we have with us uh, Imam Mutarif, uh, who is a recent graduate from uh, Jamia Amdi UK, which is a unique uh, institute and um, uh, very esteemed and honor- honorable guest. Um, Peace be on you. Welcome to the show. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, Imam Mutaraf, uh, if you can elaborate on the, or shed some light on the background uh, that what is Muslim all day and why do uh, MDs Muslim um, celebrate Muslim all day? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so Muslim all day is, uh, stands for Promised Reformer Day. And uh, as is custom within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, we tend to celebrate specific days highlighting the fulfillment of prophecies made by the founder of Islam, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. So the Promised Reformer Day is just one of many examples of prophecies of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, which have been um, fulfilled. But this prophecy is an extraordinary prophecy, as I will highlight um, and um, we Ahmadi Muslims, we believe that the prophecy was fulfilled in the person of Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmed, who was actually the second caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community, and also the son of the promised Messiah, upon whom be peace. Mm-hmm. And uh, the prophecy was made by the promised Messiah, upon whom be peace, as per divine revelation, to firstly prove the superiority of, and truthfulness of Islam, and to also serve as a sign for the opponents of Islam. And uh, originally the prophecy was made on the 20th of February 1886, like I said, by um, as per divine revelation, which was three years prior to the birth of Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmed. Uh, may God be pleased with him. And the Prophet Islam, initially what happened was that he visited Hoshiarpur, which is a city in India uh, on the 22nd of January 1886 under uh, as God had instructed him to go there and as is custom for um, prophets of God to spend time in seclusion so the Prophet uh, Islam, what he done was upon whom be peace he went to Hoshiarpur and he stayed there for 40 days or he stayed in seclusion for 40 days and he prayed for a divine sign which would essentially prove the greatness and truthfulness of Islam. And answering his prayers, God promised him a son who would change the course of history and and who would hold 52 distinct qualities. Um, Hence why Ahmadi Muslims uh, living around the world hold annual gatherings on the 20th of February and uh, this day is the well-known as Jalsa Yom al-Muslimaud or the Promised Reformer Day in commemoration of this day and in fulfillment of this great prophecy. And just to summarize, um, this prophecy contains 
52 signs, characteristics, qualities, or you could kind of call smaller prophecies, which were to be fulfilled during the lifetime and in the person of uh, the promised reformer, uh, the Muslim out, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmed. And just to clarify and to highlight also the magnificence of this prophecy, you know, to, to make a prophecy of having a child and then specifically having a boy um, in a certain period of time, which was obviously told by God that within nine years that this boy would be born. And uh, obviously at this time as well, the Prophet was actually of age as well. He was around 50 years of age. Um, and this prophecy was that he would obviously, which proves that he would grow up um, and live a long life. And you know, to make a prophecy of having a, a child who lives a long life uh, is in itself out of the ordinary, especially in the late 1800s in India. But then to make a prophecy regarding a child who will be a boy and grow up to be highly successful, to specify the success in uh, 52 different ways is out of this world and must be recognized as a sign of God. And just to, to broaden the perspective, this prophecy of the coming of the Messiah and of him having progeny uh, can be found in the Jewish scriptures as well, in the Talmud, as well as other scriptures as well. I'll mention specifically in the Talmud, it states that the Messiah will come and his son and grandson shall be his successors. Um, but more importantly, we find that the founder of Islam, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, prophesied that the Messiah will come and he will marry and have children. That yatazawaju wa yuladulahu. And this is in fact an indication that, you know, obviously one could say, yeah, it's an ordinary thing for someone to, to marry and have children. But the fact that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, is saying this, it must mean that this marriage would be of a special nature. And through this, God shall grant him such children who would be assisting and cooperating, you know, and helping and carrying out the mission of the Messiah. So in, in other words, it becomes obligatory for us to celebrate such a joyous occasion and to celebrate the sign of God and to remind ourselves that God still speaks and answers our prayers. And it's on us to actually try to reach out to him and to seek his blessings. I mean, uh, very beautifully and importantly, uh, you have, you know, um, explained uh, the background of um, Muslim our day. I mean, um, 52 very specific uh, qualities uh, which you have mentioned that he possesses. And, uh, you know, it cannot be um, developed merely by human efforts. Uh, obviously, we can see there's a hand of God behind this. And, uh, you know, as just the strongest metal of, um, um, of metals come from the forges, uh, obviously, this promised son was forged, you know, into the promised reformer by God Almighty himself. Now, if you just look at the childhood, as you have mentioned also that um, his health was very weak and uh, constantly ill. And um, obviously, if we look at the history as well, um, the doctors were, you know, were not hopeful of his survival. And on many occasions, you know, they expressed that this child would not live uh, very long. 
um, but despite being this and despite all the odds we see that how this child you know grew and uh, nourished and um, Allah Almighty you know um, gave him that wisdom the wisdom of the Quran and all other knowledges so you know if Imam Mutarif you can you know elaborate and tell us about um, his Quranic wisdom uh, which was granted to uh, to His Holiness Second Caliph of MDM Muslim Community, Muhammad Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmoud Ahmad. Yeah, you you rightly said that Muhammad Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmoud Ahmed, He was obviously when he was growing up, he um, and throughout his life, as though he faced a lot of challenges, uh, especially in relation to his health. Um, and it's true that. It's important to mention that Hazrat Muslimah, the promised reformer, had never passed any academic curriculum. And he himself um, even stated that I have no academic path, but like the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, I've just learned, I've learned just like him from the Holy Quran. And his Quranic wisdom came about with the blessings of God. So obviously, just as um, God Almighty had taught the Holy Quran to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, in the same manner, um, the Holy Quran was taught to the Promised Reformer, uh, and the, the deep, deep, deeper meanings of the Holy Quran were taught to the Promised Reformer by God Almighty. But anyhow, just to obviously clarify as well, of the 52 signs, um, some of them are that he will be extremely intelligent, he will be filled with secular knowledge. He will be filled with spiritual knowledge. He will be the word of God. Uh, Allah's mercy and honor have equipped him with the word of majesty. And these are just some prophecies, but one can directly relate these and link these with his, uh, his Quranic wisdom, his wisdom of the Holy Quran. And uh, the, the promised reformer has actually written two main commentaries of the Holy Quran. Um, one is known as the short commentary or Tafsir al-Saghir and the other is known as Tafsir al-Kabir in other words, the grand exegesis uh, um, and just to put this into perspective producing a translation of the Holy Quran is a major task but to produce its commentary and not just one but two is something extraordinary and we as Muslims believe that the Qur'an is a complete book. We believe that the Qur'an is the word of God. And science, to say, is the action of God. So the promised reform has provided a fresh explanation of the verses of the Holy Qur'an in light of modern day knowledge and discovery. And he has done this by sort of synthesizing and integrating insights um, from multiple disciplines. Uh, including theology, jurisprudence, politics, history, um, anthropology, philosophy, uh, geography, and, and many other, uh, demonstrating his vast knowledge and understanding of both um, hidden and temporal reality. And within this, he has also linked the science of comparative religion. He himself states, like I said, that uh, he was taught the meanings of the verses and chapters of the Holy Quran by God Almighty Himself through divine revelations, dreams, and uh, divine inspiration. And apart from presenting new findings from the Holy Quran, especially relevant to today's time, 
Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmed, the Promised Reformer, has left no stone unturned. And he's also addressed the indefensible errors committed by some eminent Muslim um, scholars, exegetes and theologians. And he's corrected them, preserving the honor of the Holy Quran, and also answered many allegations raised by certain uh, Orientalists and historians. And finally, I'd like to also highlight that uh, highlight some, some comments made by um, people outside of the community who have uh, commented on the wisdom of the Holy Quran presented by the Promised Reformer. Um, just to get an understanding of, of, of how deep his wisdom was that you'd see other people outside of the community actually commenting on his knowledge as well. And uh, a famous British Orientalist and Orientalist and, and a scholar of Arabic and Persian studies known as Arthur John Arbery, he states that this commentary was a great achievement. He said that it would not be an exaggeration to say that his work, this work stands distinct in the history of Islamic academics. And uh, a very famous Pakistani poet known as Alama Nihaz Fatipuri highlights that it is without a doubt that studying the Quran has created a whole new angle of thought. And this commentary is, in its very nature, the first interpretation in which logic is shown to be is shown to be harmonious with the text. He he, he directs um, this towards the Promised Reform and he states that your astounding knowledge, extraordinary care, extraordinary thought and good reasoning is apparent from its every word. Uh, brilliant, I would say that. Uh, if you can just move on to his different, uh, you know, schemes which uh, he took, the different initiatives. If we talk about Tariqa Jadid and Waqfa Jadid schemes which were introduced by um, His Holiness, Hazrat Muslim and, you know, if you can you know, just briefly explain, um, as you know, as we're kind of short of time, so uh, we would like to, would like to hear from you very briefly. Yeah, um, that's fine. Um, so the the two schemes, the two main schemes which were introduced by uh, the second caliph, uh, obviously there are many schemes apart from this as well, but the two main schemes, uh, It's and it's very important to know, is that these schemes were actually divinely inspired. So Tehrika uh, Jadid, which stands for the new scheme, came about due to the opposition that had begun against the movement in the last part of the 1920s and the early 1930s. So a group, a group came together known as Majlis Ahrar and they started an agitation against the community and declared that they would not rest until they had wiped the community off the face of the earth. So in response to this, Hazrat Mirza Bishiruddin Mahmud Abad, the Promised Reformer said that, I see the earth slipping from under the feet of the Ahrar. They say they will wipe out this community but Allah the Almighty has told me of a plan with which the community will spread in all countries of the world and no one will be able to destroy it. Uh, mentioning the purpose of the scheme, he stated that the purpose of launching Tehrika Jadid, or the, the new scheme, is to acquire such a fund with which Allah's message can be delivered as far as the corners of the earth with ease and facility. So the scheme initially started in uh, 1934 
and as is the norm in any battle, certain defensive and offensive measures will have to be taken. Similarly, in this in the spiritual battle, <clears throat> the promised reformer took certain measures and prepared his community to take on this task. And he initially outlined 19 demands which would form a solid structure and prevent the opposition from breaking yeah, through. Yeah, beautiful. If you can, you know, Mahmoudarf, uh, explain, explain uh, the background of Akhfajidi's scheme when it was initiated and a brief, very brief background. Yeah, sure. So Vakfajidid was uh, known as the new dedication and it was announced in 1957 uh, after the creation of, of Pakistan, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community had spread across countries, uh, across the country, settling in cities as well as smaller villages. But however, the, you know, the people living in villages did not have enough resources to resurrect the infrastructure of education and moral well-being required to bring about the spiritual changes um, for the community, which the Promised Sire had wished for. Um, thus, you know, from divine guidance again, and as a solution to this problem, the promised reformer um, initiated this blessed scheme of uh, n- known as Vakfajidid, the new dedication. Um, initially, a small number of volunteers were trained for a few months as teachers under the, the, the direct supervision of the second caliph. But as years passed, the numbers of volunteers increased, and then a proper training system was established. And initially, the scheme was actually launched to fulfill the needs of, uh, like I said, remote areas in Pakistan. But gradually, this was expanded to Africa and India. And after migrating to the UK in uh, in 1984, 1985, actually, you know, the fourth caliph made this scheme worldwide. And again, we see its fruits until today, and, and members of the community are willingly sacrificing for this blessed scheme mm. for a pure and spiritual purpose. Yeah, fantastic! Thank you very much. Um, you know, I know that uh, this this uh, segment won't be suffice to do the justice uh, to this uh, topic. But uh, as you know that we are kind of short of time, so we need to move on. Um, but still, you you have explained very beautifully and very precisely um, to the questions. I would say that you have done um, justice to the questions as well. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. And uh, thank you. Uh, peace be on you. So now we are going to play a very short clip from the documentary of uh, on Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmad, the promised son of the promised Messiah and Mahdi, um, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, uh, you know, which describes some of the many achievements throughout his Khalifa, uh, Khalif era. He was the promised reformer whose advent was prophesied by the Holy Prophet Muhammad وسلم, and the promised Messiah on whom be peace and who became the second Khalifa at the young age of 25 and nourished the community to its maturity for more than 50 years with his spiritual guidance, prayers, tears, toil and blood. His life fulfilled every aspect of the grand prophecy of the promised Messiah set out in an announcement in 1886. Under divine guidance, he fortified the foundations of the community laid down by the promised Messiah on whom be peace and expanded the structure of the movement by initiating various schemes, organizations and programs. In order to stimulate the moral and spiritual qualities of the community and carry its message far and wide, 
Hazrat Khalifatul Masih II established the Tahrik-e-Jadid scheme in 1934. Everything in the movement was charged with new life and new spirit under the impact of this scheme. The most striking activity of this scheme was the network of foreign missions that progressively spread into many countries. And due to the blessings of this scheme, there are now flourishing branches of the movement in more than 200 countries. Hazrat Muslimaud was an instrument of establishing the superiority and status of the Word of God, the Holy Quran, in all corners of the world. During his adolescence, an angel taught him the commentary of Surah Al-Fatiha, the opening chapter of the Holy Quran. And in this manner, he was gifted with a deep spiritual knowledge and understanding of the commentary of the Holy Quran by Allah the Exalted. His conversation, speeches and all his writings were a commentary of the Holy Quran. Perhaps his greatest work is tafsir kabir his wondrous 10,000-page commentary of the Holy Quran. Any individual who has read a part of it with concentration cannot but acknowledge that if there was a holy person in the world who had only published part of such a commentary of the Holy Quran, it would have been sufficient for him to be acknowledged as a holy person from among the holiest persons in the world. It was not enough for Hazrat Muslimaud just to write the commentary and distribute it. Hazul wished to propagate the word of God all over the world. He called the youth of the Jamaat to dedicate themselves for religious training in the community's missionary training college, Jamia Ahmadiyya. He called on parents to dedicate their children for the service of Islam. He prepared such godly scholars that demonstrated the Quran to be a life-giving message and carried its message to the corners of the earth. It is a direct result of these sacrifices and attention that services are being rendered to the Holy Quran in every corner of the world. Now we will play an audio clip uh, which uh, is the brief history of auxiliary organizations um, which was introduced by His Holiness um, the Muslim Maud within the MDM Muslim community. The idea for Nasrat al-Ahmadiyya was established in July 1928 by the daughter of Hazrat Khalifa al-Masih II. May Allah be pleased with him. However, the organization of Nasrat al-Ahmadiyya was founded in February 1939 by our second caliph, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmad. May Allah be pleased with him. The auxiliary organization is for young girls aged 7 to 15. Nasrat al-Ahmadiyya was founded in Qadian, India, and it literally means female helpers of Ahmadiyyad. The purpose of the auxiliary is to provide more training of young girls to educate young girls in religious knowledge and to help girls focus on a higher purpose and a higher standard of spirituality. Lachna Imaila, commonly known as Lachna, is the Ahmadiyya Muslim Women's Association, an auxiliary organization of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and our name means Handmaidens of Allah. We were first established in 1922 in India as an independent and empowered women's organization by His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmad, may Allah be pleased with him, who was the community's second worldwide spiritual head. 
His wife, Hazrat Amtul Hay, may Allah be pleased with her, had a great passion for the development and progress of women, and it was on her advice that he initiated the organization which transformed the lives of the women of the community. Lejnai Maila began with 14 members and His Holiness remarked at its launch, aside from gaining personal and spiritual knowledge, henceforth the successful progress of the community is also dependent on efforts by women. Over the years, the organisation spread all around the world and officially formed in the UK on a permanent basis in 1957. Though Lajna's principles had been followed for decades previously by Ahmadi Muslim women in the UK. There were 34 members when Lajna began in the UK and the membership today stands at around 13,000. Majid Atfala Ahmadiyya was established in 1938 by Hazrat Mirza Bishuddin Mahmood Ahmed, Alifatul Masih II. May Allah be pleased with him. It is an auxiliary for empty boys between the ages of 7 and 15. Atfal is derived from the Arabic word for young children. The purpose of the MMA, according to Hazrat Khalif al-Masih II, may Allah be pleased with him, was to inculcate the virtues of regularity in daily prayers, hard work and truthfulness in the youth of Ahmadiyyat. These traits should be part and parcel of every tifl as he matures into a khadim. Majlis Khudam al-Ahmadiyya literally means Association of Servants of the True Islam and is also known as the Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association. It was founded in 1938 by Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmad and is a youth section of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. MKUK is a unique, dynamic and vibrant organization serving not only the needs of its members but British society as a whole. It has over 140 local branches from Glasgow to Cornwall with a membership of over 10,000. Members are aged between 15 and 40 and its headquarters are in London. Having its own executive cabinet with representation from all over the UK, MKA is led by the National President. Majlis Ansarullah was founded in 1940 by Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmood Ahmad, the second caliph. The name Ansarullah is an Arabic expression meaning helpers of Allah. It is taken from the verse of the Holy Quran, chapter 3, verse 53, which says, and when Jesus perceived their disbelief, he said, Who will be my helpers in the cause of Allah? The disciples answered, We are the helpers of Allah. We have believed in Allah and bear thou witness that we are obedient. Majlis Ansarullah is an auxiliary organization of Ahmadiyya Muslim community for men aged 40 and over. It is a religious, spiritual and non-political organization and takes guidance from the Caliph. So that was a very brief introduction of different auxiliary organization which was introduced within the Jamaat. And uh, now, uh, you know, as uh, mentioned by our previous guest um, about the um, Quranic wisdom of uh, His Holiness Hazrat Muslim Maud, uh, there's, there's a one quote which uh, I would like to mention here. He made a challenge and he said that anyone, no matter what knowledge they may have or whichever religion they may follow, can raise any allegation against the Holy Quran and by the grace of Allah, I will answer the, their allegation from the same Quran. I have challenged the world again and again to compete with me in writing 
the deeper meanings of the Quran. So if you look at you know his um, era or his tenure, um, he um, the amount of work he done. If we add up all the pages, it will be up to it will it will be more than seventy five thousand pages. You know such a huge amount of work which he has done. And if we just look at the uh, commentary of uh, the Holy Quran. Uh, how many pages he has written on the on the commentary then it will uh, go beyond the go beyond 28000 pages um a very you know a unique work which he has done on the teachings of the holy holy quran and there's one more thing which i would like to mention is on the attribute of um the muslim mod which uh, and one of the attribute was fazli umar and uh, it means that his achievements or his life will be very similar to Hazrat Umar. Um, may Allah be pleased with him. And um, one of the reasons behind the hidden meanings of this prophecy is that, um, for example, Hazrat Umar was, uh, when he was attacked, he got martyred in a, in a day, in two or three days. But when uh, the Muslim, when, when he was attacked, uh, Allah saved him through his sheer mercy and grace and he survived for and he lived for more than 10 years mm. and if you look at the meaning of Fazl Umar Fazl means um, the blessing or sheer uh, grace or mercy of Allah Almighty and um, this is the reason behind the name of or the title of Fazl Umar that Allah will show his mercy and his grace on Umar which means the Muslim mouth and uh, by his mercy and blessing, he will live for more than uh, many years. Jazakallah. Thank you very much. Uh, we now have with us our um, last guest for the show, which is uh, Imam Muhammad Ahmed Khurshid. He is a graduate from Jamia Ahmadiyya UK, um, a unique institute that specializes in language and, and theology. Um, he completed a seven-year course and is a missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Manchester. Um, Imam Ahmed uh, Khurshid Saib, um, Assalamu alaikum, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. So, without any further ado, if you can briefly explain uh, what is Al-Fazl and how it started. Al-Fazl was in fact one of the oldest dailies, meaning daily newspaper that was launched in in 1913. Mm. And uh, this was during the time of the first caliph of the community, Hazrat Hakim Olvi Nuruddin Sahib. And this was launched by Hazrat Mizah Bashir Ahmad, Bashiruddin Mahmoud Ahmad Sahib, but he wasn't caliph at that time. Okay. But you could see the interest he had in, in study and in, in, in publication and in writing that from a very young age he began doing that work. So it's, it's not just one of the first dailies of the community. In the entire subcontinent, this was one of the first, if not the first daily hmm. um, in this aspect. And it, it continues to be functional to this day. Amazing, amazing. Um, can you tell us about the green announcement which was written by, by the... Promised Messiah by Hazrat Mizar Ghulam Ahmed, the founder of the Muslim community. Yeah, so very briefly, the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, he mentioned a prophecy, very interesting prophecy, on the 20th of February 1886. He prophesied that God Almighty would 
granting a son with extraordinary qualities and you know this son would have a, a very long life you know he'd be the muslim out the reformer so what had happened is that he was blessed with a daughter first hmm. right he mentioned categorically that within a nine year period this son would be born first he had a daughter she passed away then Bashir Awal, meaning the first Bashir was born, who also sadly passed away very quickly. So people mocked him and they said, look, his prophecies are unfulfilled and, you know, his children keep on dying and this isn't a true prophet of God Almighty. So he wrote um, the Sabzishtihar, meaning he wrote this announcement on green papers, which became known as the Green Announcement. And in essence, uh, as a Muslim, I would just repeated himself, sorry, uh, the the Messiah just repeated himself, the promised Messiah, that this son, don't forget, would be born within the nine-year period. Okay. That's the condition, right? And uh, you would see through his qualities that this is that son. So you can see how, how prophetic and how the fulfillment was done in that, in that period and as a Muslim, I was eventually born. Hmm. And um, if you can um, mention about um, the book, Tafsir Kabir, you know, it is one of the many achievements of um, Muslim out the the promise uh, reformer. So, if you can tell us about that as well, please. So, Tafsir Kabir is one of the great works of Hazrat Muslim out. He wrote the commentary of the Quran, and uh, this commentary is based on ten volumes. And when you when you look at the span in which it was written, it's about twenty years. So you can see the length and the time and effort as a Muslim you know, put into this particular work, you can say that he really, really wanted to do this. He had a great desire and love for the Quran. And, you know, when you look at the pages I was just reading, it's, it's around 6,000 pages of just pure commentary of the Quran. And not the entire Quran, just parts of the Quran. So, some of the interesting facts about the tafsir, about the commentary, is that he has come up with the theory, the explanation that every theme of the Quran or every verse of the Quran is connected to the next verse um, which is quite interesting really when you read the Quran normally you just read it through but he's saying when you look into the deeper meanings there's mm. like there's a chain of events that take place and when you look at it from that angle his tafsir his commentary is absolutely wonderful and Indeed. I think one of the other things he's mentioned he mentioned that he didn't just write out of his own ideas Right, I'll end on this. He doesn't just make up things and say, look, this is the commentary. Some parts he's categorically mentioned was through direct revelations, dream and divine inspirations. So there's a lot of time, effort. Sometimes he would say that he wasn't able to understand a point. Perhaps he wasn't able to come up with the uh, complete understanding of that particular person. Allah would explain to him in a dream, perhaps, that this is what it means. And then he would make that commentary. I would absolutely recommend it to people um, uh, who are keen to learn the Quran. Brilliant. And it's, it's, it's very fascinating and, um, you know, it's, it's very spiritually strengthening as well when, when we hear about these kind of um, incidents throughout the life of um, the second caliph and, um, you know, we can interlink them with, with, with ours as well. And, um, you know, what we can do is, um, you know, be grateful that he's left behind treasures for us to read on in this day and age as well. Um, Imam Muhammad Ahmed Khushid, thank you very much uh, for joining us. May Allah the Almighty uh, continue to bless you. Um, and inshallah, we will uh, look forward to hearing from you soon as well. Thank you for having me. Thank you. 
So, uh, Mubariz, as you know that uh, I was mentioning before uh, our guest um, regarding the um, point of uh, the title of Fazli Umar. Indeed. And um, <clears throat> so one point I has I has mentioned, the other point, you know, as I mentioned that the divine title of Fazli Umar signified his spiritual and physical affinity with the second caliph of the um, Holy Prophet, may peace and blessing Allah be upon him, Hazrat Umar bin uh, Khattab, may Allah be pleased with him. For example, um, he, the Umar, uh, introduced many different um, organizations um, during that era, and um, the same way the His Holiness, uh, as a Muslim, also introduced many organizations. As you know, we have also played a very beautiful clip, which uh, which got the introduction of different auxiliary organizations, Sarullah, hmm. um, Nasrat, Khudamul Hamdiya, Lajna Imaullah, and you know the purpose of these organizations was to uh, strengthen um, the the bond of um, of uh, sisterhood or brotherhood within the community, and so that the community can you know prosper and nourish in the best possible manner. And uh, now you know, as we also was uh, discussing about his knowledge uh, regarding the Quran or um, various other. Uh, various others, you know, um, uh, and, uh, circles, and um, as he was a wide-ranging scholar, and uh, it is a fact which has been attested by many other scholars, and I would like to mention here an, an example of a known Ahmadi um, scholar, and uh, it is Sayyid Abdul Qadir, who was the vice principal of Islamia College Lahore, Pakistan. He once said that um, he had the honor of listening to a lecture by His Holiness Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmoud Ahmad on the subject of the um, economic uh, system of Islam and communism. And he said that he found this lecture like his other lectures to be polished academic thoughts and filled with information. Uh, he said that uh, he pos he possessed God-given cap uh, capability and had complete proficiency on every aspect of the given subject, and for this very reason, his thoughts de deserve to be valued and considered. And again, on an another occasion, uh, he once said that, "Gentlemen, uh, gentlemen, I have also studied history and somewhat." And um, when I came here this evening, I thought I knew most of the Islamic history and I can easily um, critique it. But now after listening to Mirza Sahib's speech, I realize that I am only a beginner. The difference in my uh, depth of knowledge and that of Mirza Sahib's depth of knowledge is, is the same as between the light of this table lamp and that big electric lamp. Indeed. And... We've mentioned how there's been many um, initiatives taken and one of the initiatives which has a link with London is the London Mosque, the Fuzzle Mosque in, yeah. in London. Um, when he, His Holiness travelled to London in 1924, uh, he laid the foundation, foundation stone for the mosque um, and it was then later opened in 1926. So it is a very historic landmark for the City of London and also for the Ahmadi Muslim community. Um, so for our listener 
do look into it and do try to visit the mosque whenever you can. Uh, and you can also visit the Betafutu complex in Morden as well, which is part of the Amdi Muslim community. I would like to thank our guests for joining us today. Um, our producer, Shela T. Kandani Nasir, researchers Alia Manahal Ariba Kashifa Nabila, and our uh, brother in the tech team, Shiryar uh, Ahmed Khan. And Daniel, thank you very much. Um, it's been a delight talking about these two important subjects. And uh, here is news. <laughs>